Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. God does more for us than we will ever be able to appreciate. But when we look out at the world around us and look at how life unfolds, uh, I pray that we remember that things are not always what they appear to be. Uh, Every life has its share of sorrows, burdens, and trials. Uh, And if we are honest, sometimes these things just influence us to feel down. But may we ever remember that God is alive and well. Uh, He has yet to use even one sick day. And that God always works on our behalf for our good. The psalmist declares in Psalm 94, verse 14, For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his heritage. Isn't it good to know that we serve the God who is always on the job, uh, who always wants the very best for us and is better to us than we are to ourselves. And for all of God's blessings, we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention this morning again to the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, There in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, we want to read again there verse number 7. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 in your Bibles, Paul declares, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Based on the words of the apostle here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject built like God. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we find a great word of encouragement, uh, not just for Timothy, but for the children of God generally speaking. And I submit to you that the Bible is a book of encouragement. And the Bible is a book of encouragement because the nature of life is such that the children of God need to be encouraged. I think there are just times when we open the Bible and we're glad, uh, like in John 16, 33, that Jesus says, In the world you, have tri- you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Uh, There are just times when you need to open the Bible and and read where God says, don't worry about anything, but but bring the matter to me in prayer. There there are just times when we need to be reminded that uh, whatever is going on in this life, this life is temporary, but God has something better waiting for us on the other side of life. And I further submit to you that one of the things from which we may draw courage and be encouraged is the fact of whose we are and what we are because he is who he is. You see, man is a created being, but man is unique in God's creation. Now, all that exists in creation was created by God, but man alone is made in God's image. Uh, You remember in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, that God says, let us make man in our image. 
Now that means there's something about man that is different from everything else that God created. Man alone is made in God's image. And following that line of thought, when we read Paul's words to Timothy, we are able to discern that not only are we made in God's image, but we are also built like God. There are qualities given to us from God that mirror qualities which God himself possesses. In verse 7, Paul says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, observe that in verse 7, the spirit that God has given to his children is the same spirit which God himself possesses. And it doesn't even matter whether we're talking big S or little s here. Both of those are true because God gives us what he himself possesses. And it is the fact that we are built like God that enables us to carry out the work to which we are called by God. And so when we look at verse number 7, since we are built like God, we should have God's wisdom in our minds. Now, now, I know you look at verse 7 and say, Preacher, I, I don't see the word wisdom. Well, well I see at, at the end of that list, he says, God has given us the spirit of a sound mind. Now, the term sound mind is rendered discipline or self-control in some other translations. And, and the word is a calling to soundness of mind or self-control. But you see, soundness of mind, discipline, require wisdom. What is it that causes you to bite your tongue and not say everything that you could say? Now, now, now you have some self-control, but but the self-control stems from some wisdom. You know, just every question somebody asks you isn't necessarily one you ought to answer just bluntly. You know, maybe a brother comes in and and he's feeling good about his new wardrobe, but, but, but maybe the brother is challenged in terms of matching colors and patterns and that kind of thing. And he comes in and he's feeling good and he asks you, how do I look? See, now, wisdom and self-control and compassion move you to answer that other than what you are thinking in your mind. Now, now, in your mind, you just think, brother, you must have reached in the closet with your eyes closed and pulled that out. See, but self-control and wisdom say, now, now, to answer him that way may have some implications on on the future of our relationship, and so I will find a nice way to say something. Now, now, you know, sometimes you just have to answer people with those vagaries that really don't mean anything. How do I look? Well, brother, that's something. (laughs) Now, now, see, I haven't had to transgress Colossians 3.9, but I haven't hurt your feelings either. Brother, that's just something. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, spoke of two types of wisdom. And the wisdom from above, for so James called it in his letter, is an acquired wisdom. You know, it's not innately possessed. We, We just don't in and of ourselves think like God thinks. We don't use information the way God uses it. And you know that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is just really the ability to use information. It doesn't necessarily mean I have information that other people don't have. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the wise man and the foolish man? They had the same information. Both of them heard Jesus' sayings. The difference between them was what they did with the information they both possessed. He said, now the wise man hears and obeys, whereas the foolish man hears and disobeys. So so Paul says in in 1 Corinthians... 
<clears throat> excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, uh, verses 20 and 21, Paul lets us know that there's a great deal of difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Uh, uh, in your Bibles there, in 1 Corinthians 1, in verse number 20, he says, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? See, now that's one kind of wisdom. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Hey, Paul is just letting us know, we do not in and of ourselves think like God. That's why sometimes people read the Bible and some things in the Bible just don't make sense to them. See, because you don't think like God and you don't use information the way God uses it. Sometimes people read the Bible and to some people one church just makes no sense whatsoever. See, it's because you don't think like God. And in fact, you're trying to think for God instead of let God teach you and lead you to the way of salvation. And the approach one takes to life and the way one lives is dependent on which of these two wisdoms one follows. And observe that these two wisdoms are contrary the one to the other. And that's why the world doesn't understand some of the things we do. In Romans 8 and verse number 7, Paul says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Uh, see, the world, if the world looked at your budget, and, and maybe things are just a little tight financially for you right now, the, the world would say, well, if you eliminate your offering, you, you can use that money to pay some bills. Well, now, see, when you 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 thinking after a godly fashion, the, the one thing I'm not going to do is eliminate God's portion. See, see, see God's portion is non-negotiable. I have what I have because God has given it to me, and, and dare I be so uh, 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 such an ingrate as to not thank God by returning to him what he blessed me to have in the first place. And, and the world just looks at that. It makes no sense to them. The, 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 world, the world says, hey, you, 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 just, hey, you, you need some financial help. Well, no, it's not that I need some financial help. You need some spiritual help. See, you need to learn to see things the way God sees things and use information as God uses it. If we are to be the people of God and to be successful in the work of God, then we must use information the way God uses it. See, see, our task is not to try to make God acceptable to people. Uh, our job is to teach people the gospel so that people become acceptable to God. Paul says we must have, uh, or rather God has given to us uh, a sound mind. But, but not only has God given us a sound mind, when we look at what Paul says here, we, we determine uh, uh, that we must have God's wisdom in our minds, but we further see that we must have God's courage in our hearts. You know, it takes courage to stand up and stand alone. It's a little easy to stand when you got a bunch of folks standing with you. But it's something else to stand all by yourself. It, it, it takes courage to stand on the gospel when others are selling out to feel good religion and, and want to play nice. Paul, in his writings sometimes used illustrations from athletics to uh, uh, stress a spiritual truth. Now, like, for example, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have fought 
and, and really, if you translate it, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, when Paul says, I have finished my course, it, it, that's an allusion there uh, to the races of his day, and specifically a marathon. And, and you know, when you're talking about a marathon, anyone can start a race, but it takes some grit and determination to finish. You know, everybody can start, and, and everybody look good the first 15 or 20 yards. <laughs> but, but it takes some, some, some stick-with-itness to at mile 15, at mile 16, I'm still running. It, maybe you get a cramp, uh, uh, you know, and all of that, and you want to stop. It, it takes something to keep going. But Paul was also known not just to use the illustration uh, uh, of a racer, but he was also known to use the illustration of a boxer. And, and, and in our era, the boxing world has seen its share of champs and chumps. And the names that really stand out are the names of those that fought with courage. You know, the ones that fought with courage, you can just say their first or last name and we know who you're talking about. And sometimes you don't have to say their name. You know, we just said the greatest of all times. Or if we just said float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Uh, yeah, he fought with courage. We know who you're talking about. Uh, or if we just said the Bronx Bomber. Uh, you know, he just said Lewis. You, you'd know who we were talking about. If we said Marciano, you'd know who we were talking about. Well, well, Christians need to have courage because a fighter must be able to take a punch as well as deliver one. In, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 12, Paul declares all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. You know, Paul is saying if life is a boxing match and, and you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you are going to take some punches. And, you know, every punch isn't the same punch. You know, sometimes you just take a little light jab, but then sometimes you take a left hook. Well, well, a good fighter needs to be able to take a punch. Uh, you know, they talk about fighters not having a glass jaw. Yeah, you see, when you can't take a punch, they say you have a glass jaw. Well, well, the first time you get hit, you know, you're ready to sit down and do something else. Well, see, you won't make much of a fighter. A good fighter does not have a glass jaw, but neither does he suffer from ten man's disease. Anybody see the Wizard of Oz? You remember what the tin man's problem was? He had no heart. So you see, a, a good soldier doesn't suffer from tin man's disease. If I am a child of God, I've got to have some heart. God has given us the spirit of courage. I, I've got to be willing to take some lumps for the sake of Christ Jesus. And, and the thing about it is, in life, you're going to take lumps of some kind. It's just a matter of what you take them for. You know, nobody goes through life lump-free. So, so if I'm going to have to take some lumps, at least let me take them for a good cause. A at least let me take them, and there's something to show for the lumps that I'm taking. And appreciate one need not be a theological giant to be a giant theologically. When I read the parable of the talents, the two-talent man received the same praise that the five-talent man received. He just did the best he could with what he had to work with. So, so I don't have to compete with others and try to do what others do and be what others are. I, I just need to be the best me that God has created me to be. If God hadn't gifted us with the same abilities or the same talent. Well, I don't have to try to keep up with you. I, I need to uh, be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to me. And then third there, looking at what Paul has to say. 
In verse 10 and verse 11, Paul says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. I submit to you third this morning, since we are built like God, we must have God's truth in our mouths. And it's ironic that one of the hardest places to find truth is in our religious world. You, you, you would just think that people talking about Jesus would, would, would want to tell you the truth. And, and I'm not saying everybody dishonest. Some of them talk about Jesus and don't know the truth. You know, sometimes people will use Jesus and really don't know what they're doing. I remember the sons of Sceva tried to exercise uh, the evil spirit out of a man, and, and they came in talking about, we command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now, their own words tell me that they didn't know Jesus firsthand. We've heard Paul saying some things. But you know, that's what we have in our religious world. We've had people who've heard this teacher or that teacher say some things. But comparatively few have opened the scriptures and examined whether those things are so. Uh, uh, in your Bibles, in 2 Timothy 4, and beginning at verse number 2, Paul charges Timothy, preach the word. You know, that, that's what we ought to expect when we come to worship service. Preach the word. I, I don't care what your political ideology is. I, I, I don't care what your view on, on this particular issue or that issue is. Timothy, preach the word. If you want to just have a conversation with politics, you, you can go down to Starbucks or somewhere and hang out uh, 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 with somebody over a cup of coffee. But, but when the church comes together, and Timothy, your job, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Uh, if I could paraphrase that, Paul is telling Timothy, you tell the truth. And sometimes that means you're going to have to tell folk what they don't want to hear. Well, your job is not to make everybody feel good about who they are. Your job is to help people be transformed into what God wants them to be. Then notice what he says in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. If I understand what Paul is saying there, Paul is saying not everybody that talk about Jesus will tell you what is accurate. You can't believe every story you hear. You, you've got to search the scriptures whether these things be so. And appreciate to have God's truth in our mouths speaks to our manner as much as it does to our mouths. Now, we ought to tell the truth, but there's a right way to tell the truth. You know, you can be right and wrong at the same time. You can be right in your information, but wrong in your manner. You know, sometimes, we, you know, we get into tiffs with folk. I might be right in what I say, but I go about expressing it to you the wrong way. In, in Colossians 4, verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech uh, always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, I don't know that they use salt in the same way we use it. It was more preservative in their day. Uh, but, you know, one of my favorite seasonings is salt. When, when, when I sit down, I want to know where the blood pressure is. I, I know what it does to you, but, but just understand, it, it just helps some certain foods. But, you know, if you put too much of it, 
You, you, you've got to get it just right. And I know we all have individual taste, but, but you've got to be careful with how much of it you use. Paul is saying, yeah, we want to tell folk the truth, but you want to watch your manner. You, you want to be careful in your method. You don't want to take the truth and ram it down folks' throat. You want to speak the truth, but you want to speak the truth in love. But we want to, by all means, speak the truth. You know, when you start trying not to hurt people's feelings and modify the message, you are no longer speaking the truth. Yes, yeah, speak in love, but, but speak the truth in love. And it's not always convenient, depending on how you want to approach this, it's not always convenient to tell the truth. You know, sometimes we look at other people's story and we can be experts in what they did. But if we had to walk in their shoes, we wouldn't have done any better. Uh, I can imagine in Matthew chapter 26 when Peter is there by the fire and somebody said, you were with Jesus. And I can imagine, think, I wish you'd mind your own business. Ain't nobody ask you who I was with. <laughs> and three times you were with him. And Peter most vehemently denied that he knew Jesus. Well, Peter, why would you do such a thing? Well, see, if I acknowledge that I was with him, they might do to me what they're doing to him. Now, Peter, that's just wrong as it can be. Yes, it is. But it's always easy to be an expert when you're not there in the fire. It's always easy to sit and coach somebody else what they should have done. Yeah, yeah Peter shouldn't have lied. But we shouldn't do any of the things that we do. It's not always convenient to tell the truth. But if I am God's servant, then God's truth must always be in my mouth. And if you don't want to own up to something, then don't do it in the first place. But if I am God's child, I have chosen to stand on the word of God. And whatever the world's perception of the word of God may be, there we are to stand. You know, sometimes people will accuse uh, uh, the Church of Christ of being some narrow-minded thinking folk. Well, I remember Jesus saying that the road that leads to life is straight and narrow, and few there be that find it. Yeah, the gospel isn't a one-size-fit-all kind of message. It requires me to see some things in me that I'd rather not see. But thank God God doesn't just say, here, look at this picture. God says we can do something about what we see. We can make this picture one that is good to look at. And we do that by conforming ourselves to the will of God rather than by continuing to be the people that we were. We are not just created in God's image. When we are baptized into Christ, God makes us like him in terms of our character. And he says, I want you to be my witnesses to the world that I am mankind's answer for all of the problems that humanity faces. And we can only accomplish God's work when we continue to be like him. God calls us into the family of God by a change that moves us to be like him. We need to hear the gospel message, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24. We must be willing to repent of sin, Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 5. 
That's not a typo. Both verses say the same thing. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We need to be willing to confess faith in Christ, Matthew 10, 32, and then be baptized in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. When we go down into the waters of baptism, God begins to build us so that we are like him. He washes away our sins, indwells us with his spirit, and adds us to the church. God is doing those things so we can be like him, so that we can be suitable for the work of his kingdom. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to respond to the invitation, or you want the church to pray for you. And if either of these are the case, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.